Welcome to Sourcing Enterprise AI, a podcast by Upper Edge, a leading IT sourcing, negotiation, and project execution advisory firm. I'm John Belden, Chief Strategy and Research Officer. And I'm Bill Rufo, Upper Edge's Chief Revenue Officer. Join us every other week as we explore the impact of artificial intelligence and the critical issues IT decision makers and sourcing professionals will face. The AI market is just in its infancy with new capabilities, new vendors, and a new competitive landscape and a boatload of risk. In each episode, we'll do a deep dive into a particular AI topic and explore the latest news releases and their potential impact on the market. Empower your AI decision-making with vendor insights and sourcing strategies. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. I'm excited to be kicking off this podcast series with you, John. It seems like there's so much going on in the world of AI right now, and, and every week there's something new being released from, from vendors and companies, et cetera. So, um, you know, in this series, we're going to be talking about uh, many different things related to AI, uh, sourcing strategies, uh, AI through enterprise technology, some of the expected values that companies can receive from it, uh, and quite frankly, some of the things that uh, uh, vendors are doing uh, to recoup the costs of that. So I'm going to talk through some vendor-specific scenarios around what Microsoft's position may be, uh, how is SAP approaching this, uh, Salesforce, Oracle, Workday, ServiceNow, et cetera, right? So uh, how are they leveraging AI, and quite frankly, what can be businesses and sourcing professionals do about that. We'll get into some of the technical uh, fundamental core concepts and terminologies, et cetera. But I figured the best place for us to start was, um, you know, at the beginning and explain where we're coming from in all of this. Uh, I know Upper Edge recently just conducted a big research project on AI. So that's probably the best place to start in my mind. Um, tell us a little bit about the genesis of this project and why do we launch it and what do we evaluate in it? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey Bill, how are you doing? Um, just, you know, just, to talk about the genesis of the project, you know, I, I've got a, I've had a long career in IT that spans back 40 years. And when I look back at those 40 years, there's been, I'll call it three really pivotal positions within technology where there was a, a fundamental shift in technology that created, I'll call it huge amounts of market opportunities and huge amounts of vendor, I'll call it new vendors introduced to the space. The first one was back in, I'll call it the, the mid-80s, with the introduction of graphical unit, user interfaces in Lisa, right? And that just kind of expanded into the Microsoft platform, Windows 95, and a whole set of new vendors that really came into the market there with that graphical user interface. The second time would have been in, let's call it the early, mid-90s, with the introduce, introduction of World Wide Web right? And the internet, right? Or the interweb, as I used to call it when I was a kid, right? The interweb. <laughs> um, and all of a sudden, information was available um, from anywhere in the world to a single platform. And then the next wave, that third wave would have been, let's call it early 2000s with the introduction of the iPhone, Right. And now all of that inner information that was available from anywhere in the world could be delivered anywhere in the world. Right. So now we've kind of gone through that, those three, I'll call it technology platforms of I can use the system, I can get the information and I can get it anywhere I want with AI. Right. We've brought it to a new level, which is I can get it the way that I want now. Yeah. Right. And so all of a sudden we've got this brand new, I'll call it technology that has suddenly created opportunities for vendors as well as clients. And we at Upper Edge said, you know, this is going to make a fundamental shift 
in all of the way that our vendors are positioning themselves and all of the technology that's going to be required by our clients. And so we launched a study to kind of get into to really understand it and the impact on the marketplace. Excellent. So let's let's jump in then to, to some of the core findings. And what, what, what did we come up with? Well, you know, it's, it's funny because the, um, you know, I, I went into this thing thinking I was going to find something different. <laughs> and in, in the reality is I found what was the same. Right. And what I mean by the same is when I when I did a bunch of research on this and when I said did a bunch of research, I mean, we looked at um, literally hundreds of, of papers. They were they were academic papers. They were papers provided by, uh, you know, the vendors. They were independent research papers. And from that, we kind of drew out there was five conclusions in order to be able to be successful with the implementation of A.I. The basic tenets are, are the same. You need to be able to have a business case, understand where you're going to apply it. You need to be able to have a fundamental technology strategy, which I think we're going to get into what what does that mean. Yeah. You need to be able to have a data strategy. You need to be able to have, I'll call it a an, an operating model that extends both into the business and IT. And then probably the most important thing, at least from our perspective, is you've got to have a sourcing and procurement strategy that says, how am I going to make sure? that the vendors that I'm engaging with and the vendors that I'm ultimately using, I'm going to get the most, the most value out of for my enterprise. And so that then became kind of the foundation for, I'll call it the rest of the research. Interesting. Yeah. So let, let's, I mean, there's a lot there, right? And all those pillars, right? So why don't we start with the first one, building a business case. What, what, let's, let's dive in a little bit further on that. Yeah. So when we, when we talk about building the business case, you know, it's, it's, it, where things are different than, let's say, where they were uh, five years ago and, and people talking about building a business case, that typically meant, hey, we've got to be able to show that there is some level of ROI associated with the investments that we're going to make. Right. What makes AI at this point in time fundamentally different is I think everybody recognizes that there's a business case no matter where you're going to apply it. And the challenge becomes where is the best business case? How am I going to select from the pile of all of the opportunities that I know that I have to pick the best one for me? And that's going to be a measure of both um, understanding what the value proposition is and understanding the risk profile associated with the implementation of AI, because that risk profile is is fundamentally different than it was over the last, let's say, 10 years in terms of the implementation of AI. You know, so are there different people involved now in making that business case than there were previously? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, you know, when we, AI typically has, I'll call it a foundation in in the IT world, yeah, but the actual application of AI is best grounded at the location, right? That that I'll call it the business case or the business is going to be involved in, right? So when we talk about customer service, lots of people apply AI in the in the area of customer service, right? The foundations of getting that to work best are sourced in that customer service function, not within the IT organization. So I, I think we're going to see more and more of the application of AI actually take place in that, let's call that, in that user environment rather than in the IT environment. Yeah, so it's probably becoming even more critical for, for sourcing professionals to, to really, really understand that that inherent business case and what the... Yeah, and where it's actually being applied. Yeah. Because it could, it could go right underneath the radar and nobody will know that it actually been it was procured, right? Right. 
Right. Interesting. Uh, so I think the second thing you mentioned there uh, from, a, from a core five pillar was the technology strategy. Unpack yeah. that a little bit one for me. Yeah. So, so, you know, historically, we've already we've always had this kind of this buy versus build. Yeah. And there's always been kind of a tendency, I'll say, to move toward the packaged solutions, right? The, the big, the big platforms, SAP, uh, you know, whether it be SAP, Oracle, uh, Salesforce, et cetera, there's, there's been a, a movement toward that, that buy thing. I think the same thing is going to come up again. Um, and it's going to come up with, there's going to be the bespoke AI applications where I'm going to have to develop my own AI application or my AI strategy. That's kind of, decision number one. And then the other option is, well, do I want to enable my AI strategy through those packaged vendors that already exist? So is my AI strategy going to be, um, I'm already on an SAP platform. I'm just going to take advantage of what SAP is going to offer in the way of AI, and I'm going to deploy that. Or is my AI I strategy going to be one of no, you know, I'm going to leave those ER platforms the way that they are, and I'm going to make my investment in brand new AI capabilities. Let's say that's offered by Amazon, and I'm going to, and am I going to develop my own capabilities uh, in my own applications? I think that's kind of the the first, uh, you know, big decision you have to make from an AI strategy point of view, and then you're going to go into the inevitable: is it going to be on the cloud or is it going to be on the on-prem? And then the final one, probably, which is going to be the most important one for CIOs, is what's going to be my new strategic platform to deliver AI, right, for those bespoke applications? Is it Google? Is it Microsoft? Is it AWS? Or is it some other platform that's yet to, I'll call it, come on the horizon? That's a big technologies decision, kind of the equivalent of who's going to be my cell phone provider, right? When cell phone came out, who's right. going to be my carrier? That was a pretty big decision that you had to make because switching costs you knew were going to be high when you picked that carrier for the first time. Same decision there. Well, and I would imagine that a, a lot of companies are going to be faced with the difficulty of this rapid pace of change that's going on in the marketplace, almost anticipating uh, some of these unknown technologies that are coming into place because they got to develop a strategy ahead of it. Otherwise, it's very reactionary. Exactly. Exactly. You're 100% on. Awesome. Okay, great. So let's talk about data then. Obviously, we're, we're a, a big data company in terms of delivering value to customers there. How is this impacting data? Yeah, again, another, another you know, uh, I'll call it same old, same old, but new. There's, you're going to have to have, I'll call it, every company has to have some sort of a data strategy. Um, primarily, what we've seen is, is those data strategies being, I've got to be able to handle my internal data, right? That's, or my, I'll call it my structured data. So those would be, that would be the data that would be actually sitting inside of your ERP system. But you're also going to have to have a data strategy for your unstructured data. So this would be all the documents that you're carrying and what are those documents that you ultimately might bring into an AI system and how are you going to manage that? And then I'm going to add to that data strategy. You also have to be able to think about what your external data strategy is because you're going to have to be able to think about where am I going to get the data from outside of my organization that's, that is required, let's say, to... Uh, to enable my AI, in many cases, uh, you know, that might be an LLM, a large language model, which yeah. we'll get in, into in the future. And then there's a kind of a new thing that's on the horizon, which is lots of companies today have data 
that would be really, really valuable to go into other enterprises, AI models. So if you think about it, um, you know, uh, let, let's take um, let's take financial services firm that has a ton of data associated with all the companies that they might be uh, conducting research on. Right. And all of that data is captured in document form owned by them. Mm -hmm. Well, that might be a really, really valuable resource for another company to be able to bring into their AI models. And so those financial services companies or those brokerage companies need to think about what's going to be my strategy in order to be able to monetize the data that I actually own. Right. In order to be able to bring into other companies, I'll call it AI models. And so now you've got to be able to think about what's my data strategy related to monetization of the existing data that I actually own. And is, is that a, a decision around that type of new strategy? I mean, like how, how mature is that conversation right now? How many businesses are having that conversation? It is. It, it's very, very immature, Bill. And it's just people are just on the foundations, I'll call it, of the discovery of how valuable is my data. Yeah. And then what does it actually mean to sell my data? And then how am I going to um, how am I going to let's call it prove that I have a quality data source that is actually valuable to the marketplace? But it's a, it's an interesting conversation, and we're just on the crux of it right now. But you think about those great big companies like Accenture and, and SAP, and how much data they actually have today, right? Right. What's that worth in the open market? And how am I going to structure that information to create a value proposition to the open market? It's it's it's, it's a strategy that's in its infancy. Right yeah, now. well, it'll certainly be interesting to see how it, it evolves. I'm assuming the, the evolution of it's going to change probably just as rapidly as the technology itself. Yep. Great. All right. So we talked about the building a business case, talked a little bit about the technology strategy and the data strategy behind it. Get into the, the operating model, but the IT operating model. Yeah, so so three components to the uh, operating model, right? One is, you know, again, I'm going to go back to kind of, you know, standard, standard. There's AI ops that need to be put into IT organizations. How am I going to manage my, my operating environment? And then what's the, I'll call it the governance structure within my organization to be able to manage AI. But there's kind of two additional layers to that operating model that exists now. One then would be, what am I going to do to assure audit and regulatory compliance? One of the things that we're absolutely seeing right now is a lot of activities associated with uh, both in the U.S. and the EU associated with AI regulations. Mm -hmm. And I'll call it uh, rules that you're going to ultimately have to abide by. We know those things are going to change over the next two to three years. And as companies develop their AI applications and implement those AI applications, they're going to have to consider, are they going to be compliant with those future future regulatory areas? Think about Sarbanes-Oxley, right? I mean, it, it's kind of one of those things where I have to plan my strategy to be compliant. Yeah, well, one of the things I, I think that's interesting about that, sorry to cut you off, is is – you know, there's there's always been industries that are traditionally highly uh, regulated and and are very used to going through the yeah. that governance process, a very rigorous and detailed governance process. But we're almost seeing a shift in the the traditional non highly regulated industries having to think about it in that manner. Right? It's really fascinating. Right. right. Yeah, and I think it's one of the things that the I'll call it the audit departments of of 
all big companies are going to have to keep on their radar screen. We're certainly going to try to talk about it here on this podcast when we when we see, I'll call it regulatory uh, alerts come out that we think we're going to want to make sure that everybody is aware of because you're also going to have to not only make sure that your AI uh, applications are compliant, but you're going to have to make sure that the vendors that you've engaged for the right. delivery of AI are also compliant, right? So go back to kind of the old Y2K days, right? I had to make sure that my systems were compliant, but I also had to make sure that all my vendor systems were, are compliant, right? And so what's going to be the strategy to assure vendor compliance um, when these regulatory rules actually come into effect. Yeah, I mean, I, the, most companies, even if you're not uh, intimately involved in it, know, generally speaking, GDPR and Sarbanes-Oxley. But there's a lot of companies out there right now that have no idea what regulations are even coming down the pipe or what need to. Exactly, exactly. And that's, that's I think it's going to be one of the important things that we discuss, you know, long term in this podcast are, are what are the regulatory areas that I'll call a procurement pro- professionals really need to understand, right? Because they're going to want to be able to ask those questions as they go into the RFP process or in the purchasing process. You've got to know the questions to ask to it in order to be able to assure compliance. Yeah. Great. All right. So then I think the last uh, of the, the five pillar findings you had here was around uh, the procurement strategy. Walk us through what that looks like. Yeah. So on the procurement strategy, I mean, one of the things, again, we discovered as a part of our research, um, every single vendor out there in the IT world has some sort of stake in AI. And there is a lot of overlap associated with the capabilities yeah. that all of these vendors are going to are, are going to bring to market. You know, Bill, you and I talked to a, uh, a potential client yesterday of a very, very large organization. Right. Yeah. It was the top. It was the top of the mind of the of the CIO. Right. Yeah, the what what am I going to do? Right. I mean, he, I mean, uh, the individual kind of communicated that I'm afraid that every single vendor that I'm going to be coming in uh, that that I'm engaged with is going to be asking for a 40 percent jack in all of the prices. And they wanted to be able to put themselves in a position to go on offense rather than defense. Right. right with these I'll call it with these um, uh, with these vendors. And so to me, that was the perfect foundation to be thinking about. I got to have a procurement strategy. Right. How ultimately am I going to approach the market in order to be able to maximize the value that I'm going to get out of I.T. and not incur what I'm going to refer to as a value inversion, where all of the all of the money goes to the vendor and all of the value goes to the vendor and the client sitting there, you know, kind of strapped with all of the uh, residual impact of vendors coming to them, jacking their prices because they've introduced this AI capability that none of it or a very little of it is actually in use at the client side. So that's kind of the foundation for this procurement strategy. And there's really, I'll call it, at least from my perspective, there's a few legs of the procurement strategy. The first of which is, you know, you've got to be able to think through all those other four pillars that I just talked about, right? What's my business case? What's my infrastructure? What's my data strategy? Typically, that involves launching a phase zero or some form of corporate strategy for AI. And typically, that means that you're going to have to engage a systems integrator that has some familiarity with the space to supplement your own team. Right. So the first thing of that procurement strategy is deciding who that phase zero vendor is going to be. And you've got to be able to think about what are the models that they're bringing to the table for AI? What are their business models? What are their value models that they can illustrate to the client? 
right? This is where the value is. You've got to be able to assess what relationships that they have with the various big vendors out there to make sure, right, that either A, they are biased to the technology that you're most interested in, or that they're not biased uh, to some technology that you're not interested in. So you've got to be thinking about that in the selection of the SI. Uh, and then probably the most important thing from my perspective is picking somebody that truly understands the risk profile associated with AI, the implementation risk, the utilization risk, and let's call it the external risk that might be facing your company. You really need to be able to vet that. That's, to me, kind of the first important portion of the procurement strategy, if you will, is picking that right vendor. Yeah, well, what's interesting on that too, though, is is even, even in choosing the vetting the risk strategy, if you will, of the vendor themselves, the companies really have to know what those risks are to know if it's vettable, right? Like, yeah, I know exactly. They right. need to and really and be aware of the market and, and what the, what these vendors are, are doing. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and as, and again, as we think about those risks, um, and, and I'll call it the, the, the SI vendors and in particular, um, the ones that are coming to the table with AI solutions already baked, mm-hmm. right? You know, to me, those are the ones that I have to look at with, I'll call it the most skepticism, because it's not clear to me that those already baked AI solutions have fully vetted the risk profiles before they've actually introduced the solutions that are coming to sure. market. I think in many cases, it's let's get to the market as fast as we can and we'll deal with the risk later, right? Well, dealing with the risk later ultimately becomes the burden of the client who accepted that application. Yeah. And so I think to me, that's I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of kind of fully baked AI applications that are being brought to the market right now. Yeah, it's really complex and, and, and critical for, for you know, companies to get this right because the SIs, because of all, they know all this as well, right? So they have to be on their toes in order to, to be able to right. do what they do and communicate it effectively. And you got to know that. Right. The other, I, I'd say the probably the second most important thing is thinking about what your strategy is going to be with your existing infrastructure providers. And when I say infrastructure, I'm referring to uh, kind of your applications infrastructure as well as your your technology infrastructure. Um, Because all of those firms, whether it be Google, whether it be Microsoft, whether it be AWS, whether it be SAP, right? Every single one of those firms right now is introducing AI capabilities and wanting to go to the market with a price hike that's re- that is directly related sure. to the introduction of those AI capabilities, right? So thinking through what is going to be my renewal strategy, how am I going to take advantage of, I'll call it both the, the opportunity of everybody selling that AI, so there is a competitive landscape associated with it, and balance that against uh, being held captive to a vendor that you have so much infrastructure invested with, right, that you don't feel like you have an exit strategy and and you're going to be held hostage, right? So, you know, to me, those are the two most important things to be thinking about on your procurement strategy right now. What is my AI overall strategy look like? And then how am I going to protect myself or insulate myself from that AI onslaught of, I'll call it, uh, price hikes that ultimately are going to be coming to the market? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And and it, it's you know really critical because so many of these companies, they're not looking to necessarily get out of the relationships, but they exactly. have to protect themselves going forward. Right. Right. 
You know, part of what I was thinking too, Bill, maybe this is a good time to cut into the uh, to the news of the week. Sure, yeah. Right of of what's going on, uh, you know. Both you and I, both you and I, have been trading news news articles <laughs> back and forth in terms of a lot uh, of them. In terms of in terms of what we've seen within the marketplace, uh, I'm just going to kind of d- dive into a couple yeah, of them, and maybe, you know, maybe you you know you you tip into some of this your well, some as well. Um, you know, the first one that kind of struck me that I saw was the SAP hiring of the Microsoft VP uh, Walter Sun. And there was a lot of, I'll call it a lot of uh, uh, articles that were written about SAP poaches, uh, you know, the the Microsoft VP. And I sat back and I thought about this for a while and I said, is this a lot to do about nothing on the poaching of, uh, of the Microsoft VP? Because we know that SAP's just signed a great big strategic deal with Microsoft related to the actual application of AI. Yeah. And, and part of me says... There would be there's no way that, you know, that, that they're going to let Microsoft is just going to let somebody jump over to SAP and, and kind of switch their stripes like this. So part of me says there's something that was in, that was integral to that whole deal of SAP and Microsoft that ultimately involved allowing this executive to move from Microsoft into SAP. I think it's a win win for both firms here. I don't think it hurts anybody. Um, I think from the standpoint of SAP being able to get a top notch AI kind of design person that worked on the Microsoft ERP system, um, you know, they they were integral into that, bringing that to SAP and then having SAP build a stronger relationship for, with Microsoft. I don't see this as a big deal for um, I don't see I don't see this as a, a, a tough spot for either firm. I see it as actually being a competitive advantage for both. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot of, and this quite frankly is almost too much to count, but it's, it's, there's a lot of new partnerships forming between large outfits and some of these strategic vendors that we've been talking about that's happening, not just from a personnel perspective, but from, from joint offerings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're definitely seeing that for sure. Right. And then we're seeing new, we're seeing new companies, right. You know, introduce themselves into the marketplace to begin with. Right. You know, who would have ever thought a, you know, I don't know. Lots of people did, I guess, but AWS has become a platform provider for AI services, right? You know, they're they're new now. They, you know, they historically you've thought about them as you know an infrastructure supplier, a, a hyperscaler. Well, they're out there competing now with the with the Googles in terms of the AI tool sets, right? And you've really got to seriously consider them as you know might might be their platform of choice. Um, Oracle, uh, you know, Oracle recently. There's been a lot of, of um, financial press associated with upgrading of Oracle stocks, right? Well, that was one of the things that came out of our, our I'll call it our, our research project that, you know, when I looked at all of the vendors out there, Oracle was clearly the best positioned to make hay in this uh, in this AI space because of the vertical integration that goes all the way up from the apps, uh, from the infrastructure, down into the chips, down into the database. They own, I'll call it, they own the whole thing. And from that standpoint, you know, if, if, Oracle, can't, if Oracle can't make money 
with this AI, uh, I'll call it wave that we're seeing, there's not anybody that's going to make money. And I think Oracle's just so well positioned in AI right now uh, that everybody else is ultimately going to be playing catch up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I, look, this has been great. I think it, there's a lot of things to keep our eyeballs on and and be informed about here as as this world is just rapidly scaling and changing uh, on a day to day basis. So, you know, I'm looking forward to these continued conversations. And I think you know some of the, some of the episodes we've got coming up diving into some of the the fundamental uh terminologies that that everyone really needs to be aware of uh we're going to dive deep into uh some of the vendor specific plays and and strategies around that um it's going to be a critical component for, for folks to understand that so i'm really looking to getting into this further with you Sourcing Enterprise AI is co-hosted by John Belden and Bill Rufo and produced by Mike Brown and Kylie Chisholm. The podcast is brought to you by UpRedge, a leading IT sourcing, negotiation, and project execution advisory firm. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss a new episode. For more innovative IT sourcing and risk mitigation insights, subscribe to the UpRedge newsletter and follow UpRedge on social media at the links in our episode description. Thank you for listening.